welcome to Woven Church. Glad to see all of you here. And um, I trust as you may be way in, you received a pen, a note sheet, as I get into my homily and continue this series through this book that we've been studying for the last three weeks, two or three weeks, called Life Together. Life Together. And to set the stage, I'll share a personal story uh, that took place about 20 years ago. 20 years ago, uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s, I was uh, in my early 20s. And growing up in New York was quite an experience. You think that it's glamorous, but anybody that's a true New Yorker wants to get away. And I grew up there. And overnight, I found myself trading the skyscrapers of New York City for the Rocky Mountains of Montana. And at about the age of 21, I moved across country. I remember it was in the winter. And I wound up in Lakeside, Kalispell, Montana, if anybody's ever been in Montana. And it was an incredibly beautiful place. I went there uh, exhausted and a little bit depressed and burned out from life in New York City and was replenished. And I remember uh, arriving in the middle of the night, uh, not knowing where I was. It was the rest of my life. It was the beginning of forever for me. And uh, when the sun came up, seeing the Rocky Mountains and being in a community of about 200 missionaries. And we were singing songs, and we began our day with meditation through the scriptures, and then we were given responsibilities that we called work duties throughout the day. And uh, every Friday evening, we had a community worship time, kind of like our community group. We gathered together, it was a festive atmosphere. And we did this week in and week out for three months, and then we did it again overseas in a missionary overseas context. This was something called Life Together. What we were doing was, uh, this was I was with an organization called Youth with a Mission, and we were living together in a communal living context. We were living under the same roof, a very big roof, and we were living in community together, observing these rhythms, spiritual practices, and living in this cycle, this weekend, day in, day out cycle of life together. Now, chapter two of this book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Live Together, is talking about this type of community. When he talks about life, to, life together, it's not just Sunday, the communities on Sunday where we're together for an hour and a half, and then we go home. Bonhoeffer talks about this ideal of a people living together and sharing life together. So that's the ideal. Ironically, last Sunday, I know we talked about how a community is not an ideal, and uh, the irony is he's presenting an ideal. It's the ideal of people living together. Uh, but what I'd like to do today is talk about what Bonhoeffer is, is teaching here in chapter two. I don't think it's so much as an ideal that he's saying, this is my vision of community, this is the way it has to be. I think what Bonhoeffer is saying is these are the basic elements whether you are living under the same roof as a community, or if you are a church community, these are the basic elements of what life together looks like. Eight elements. And so if you look in your notes, this is the first of three headings that you see. The first of three headings is the basic elements of a rule of life. 
And what Potiphar talks about as the basic things, the basic things that go into living together as a spiritual community. And I'm just going to go through those quickly. And then after that, I'm going to talk second, our second heading, you know as you'll see, is our rule of life here at Woven. How do we live spiritual rhythms as a church community together? And then the third and last heading is for you, and I'll tell you that when we get there. It's space for you to think about. But let's start off with that first heading, the basic elements of a rule of life. What are the things that constitute essential Christian living together? Now, for those of you that are new to this series or new to Woven, I don't want you to think that this is the church of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. We, we don't always, you know, this is the church, we stand on scripture, we preach scripture. However, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a noted figure, um, significant. He lived during World War II, and he was a German Christian who uh, protested Hitler and what they called the Nazi Christian compromise in, Ger in Germany, even though he was German. And during his time in prison, he was imprisoned for going against Hitler. During his time in prison, he would experience community life together in a deeply intimate way. And there's something in that experience that he teaches us about life together that I think is very instructive for us as a church community. So that's kind of the foundation for these eight things, these eight basic elements of a rule of life that you see. The first fill in the blank, and the first basic element that he talks about as he gets into chapter two is morning corporate worship. Worship in the morning together. Now I know here at Woven, we worshiped for a spell at 1.14 p.m., and that was a, transit, a transitional time for us. It wasn't ideal for everybody. At first it was like, great, I can sleep in until noon and go to church at one. Uh, but really, the morning, this is what Bonifer says on page 41, morning doesn't belong to the individual, it belongs to the church. And there is something about gathering together with believers in the morning for worship. That's why on Sunday morning it's ideal for us to worship at the 11 a.m. slot. That's why when we have church retreats, we don't say the morning is completely free and you kind of just do nothing in our first sessions. It's because... The morning is an ideal time for us to orient ourselves to God, to lift our praises to Him, and to get centered, to get centered. At the first point, at the first point of the day. And so worship as a community on Sunday mornings, in the morning, is vital. It is essential that we gather together. Now specifically, Bonifer's talking about a daily basis, every morning. When you're living as a community, every morning get together and worship because that's how we start off our day. Now, we can't apply that as a church community because we're not living under the same roof. But I think the point is well taken, not only on Sunday, but in our own lives. How are we orienting ourselves to God first thing of the day? So morning corporate worship is the first basic element of Bonifer's rule of life. A rule of life is another way of saying a schedule, a spiritual, a set of spiritual disciplines. The second thing that Bonifer talks about is praying the Psalms, praying the Psalms. And I'm going to talk about this at length next Sunday. 
How do we pray the Psalms? Why do we pray the Psalms? What is the significance of praying the Psalms? And uh, next week we're going to look at the book of Jonah, in fact, as we learn about praying the Psalms. And if you want to hear about that, how do we, how do we, how do we translate spiritual disciplines from the book of Jonah? It's in there. It's in there. And I can't wait to teach it next Sunday. But praying the Psalms is a second very important element. You see, the first thing that we do when we rise up in the morning, maybe if you read, uh, if you do a devotion from my utmost to first highest, or through my daily bread, or some, our daily bread, or something like that, you'll see a psalm. And the intention of that psalm is not just to read it once, but to carry that without you, but to carry that with you throughout the day as a prayer. It becomes like your mantra. You know, we all have mantras. I don't want you to think that this is New Age spirituality. We all have mantras. Worry is a mantra. Resentment is a mantra. Fear is a mantra. And as Christians, we have to reprogram our minds and replace those things with things that are good. The Psalms. It's like a baby. If you have a baby that is putting, um, like, the roach trap in his mouth or something, you know, horrible. Isn't that? Isn't that? Isn't that a, such a picture of, 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 of? It's a horrible picture. But the reality is, it's like poison that we ingest when we meditate on things that are harmful to us. And so, what do you do? You take away that thing that's in the baby's hand, and they cry. You have to swap it out with something. We swap it out with something healthy. And so the principle of praying the Psalms is swapping out our minds, the poison, with that which is healthy. The psalm that we meditate on throughout the day. The psalm that was with us in the morning in our morning worship, we carry with us throughout the day. We'll continue, we'll talk at length about that next Sunday. By the way, chapter 2, we finished chapter 1 last Sunday. Chapter 2 is the longest chapter in life together. And so um, there's a lot to talk about there, and I'm going to spend the next few weeks unpacking some of these So the first thing in, in, uh, in our spiritual discipline, the first basic ingredient corporate worship, secondly, praying the Psalms, third is reading scripture, reading scripture. And Bonifer talks about the importance of reading scripture, not just, not just one verse at a time, but knowing the message, knowing the arc of the Bible as it flows in and out. Now don't raise your hand because I don't want this to be a show-off contest. But how many of you have read the Bible in its entirety, cover to cover? How many of you read it several times, cover to cover? Again, it's not a show-off contest. But the point is, in order to understand the message that God speaks to us, we have to know the big story. Now that's why on Sunday mornings when we do Sunday school, uh, what we're essentially doing is a survey through the entire Bible. Reading through the entirety of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation is necessary. Why? Why? Well, Bonifer lived around the time of World War II. And around the time of World War II, this is the beginning of modernism. I'm not going to teach too deep here. I just want to talk about this briefly. But it's the time when we began to lose touch with our native story. In other words, we don't live in Kansas anymore. In fact, we don't even know where Kansas is. We don't know where home is. How many of you, and you can raise your hand now, were born and raised in Houston? 
I'm sorry to put you on the spot like that, but really, look at the percentages. That's like, that's, that's only two people. And so the question is, where is home? Where is that narrative that I'm a part of? Where is that fundamental story that I can identify that these are my roots, and my roots dictate how I act and behave and believe? We are separated from our roots. And therefore, what Bonifer talks about with this third principle reading scripture is you have to know the story in order to know our roots. We no longer have this thing called the meta-narrative. We no longer know what our story is. Don't just read the Bible for, for quality. Read it for quantity as well is what he's saying. Now that's just about the opposite message of what I typically teach. I say read it for quality, not just for quantity, but he's right. You have to know your history. You have to know your story. I remember meeting one time um, years ago, years ago, with a scholar of North and South Korean studies. I think his name was John Somerville. And he was visiting us at the mission base where I was living in community. And this was a white man, an older man, who spoke fluent Korean. And he asked me, do you know the village? where your parents, your grandparents, your parents and grandparents came from in Korea. And I said, no, I don't. And he said, shame on you. You don't know your roots. That's the modern experience. That's the postmodern. That's all of us. We don't have our feet on solid ground. And so what Bonifer says is, know the Bible because especially for those of us that don't know where home is anymore, that is your home. That is the place where you can cement your feet in and root them in deep. Even though you don't know where your history goes, as a child of God, you can trace it all the way back, your lineage going all the way to Abraham. Root yourself in that story. Find your narrative. That is what he's talking about when he says, read scripture together and read it in large chunks. Read the scriptures. The fourth thing, he says, the basic element, the basic element of our spiritual life together is singing praises, is singing praises. And together with our staff, we're sitting here and we're talking about how can we, how can we do this? Because, you know, after the sermon, I feel like I just want to sing, I want to belt it out, I want to, I want to, you know, I want to sing full-throated. And, you know, we've decided that really the front half of our praise time, you know, friends, sing, sing with your full heart. Don't wait till after the stirring message. Don't wait for the altar call. Sing now. Sing. This is how we fight our battles. Sing even when we don't feel like it. That is, we can sing ourselves back to health. Listen, Bonifer says this. It's, it's beautiful. Page 58, where the heart is not singing, there is no melody. Only the dreadful medley of human self-praise. Where the heart is not singing, there is no melody, only the dreadful medley of human self-praise. Sing. Sing. And don't worry if you're off-key. In fact, I would argue that sounds better than the opera singer that can soar his or her voice above all others. God loves to hear your voice when you sing. The fifth element is corporate prayer. Corporate prayer, and that, that, that's not just private prayers, but learning to pray together. And this is an important spiritual discipline. Learn to pray together because 
That is where we overcome our fears and our insecurities. I didn't realize because I've been praying out loud for so long that it really is awkward kind of praying in front of people. And for some of us, it's uncomfortable. And the thing is, that's okay. This is where we put fear aside and timidity. We lift our voice together, together no matter how halting our prayers are. We suspend, the rest of us suspend our comments and criticism. But prayer together, lifting up your voices in one voice is an important element. In the Korean church, in the Korean church, we really took this to the next level. Praying together corporately, it meant praying at the same time, out loud, in this cacophony of prayer. Everybody prayed, and, and if you walked in, you kind of freaked out. But whether we're praying at the same time or one by one still, let your prayers be heard. The sixth element is eating together and how necessary it is for a fellowship, life together, a community that's doing life together, to eat together, to eat together. Now, Andrew and Crystal prepared a wonderful meal yesterday. It was a tragedy when I saw that one basket of the skewers fall, and I was like, oh, man, we still had to cook that. But eating together, eating together is an important part of living together, of life together. There's something about food that oils the social juices. Um, whenever I am looking for a good meal, there's one person in this room that I turn to, that's Byron Thompson, and everything he orders is always good. When we were together at Chick in Tennessee, anything he ordered, like I ordered it verbatim, I ordered the same thing because he knew what the good food was. It oils, it's a social lubricant. But the thing about eating together, when Bonifer talks about, I think he's talking in two dimensions. Don't just eat together, break bread together, have communion together. There's this double dimension. And he says, I love these words, the fellowship of the table, it has, listen to this word, a festive quality. A festive quality. Andrew, we should make that like an, an objective of every community group that we have. That is a festive atmosphere, a festive quality. I remember when I was living in a missionary community 20 years ago, and when we would have our community gatherings, like they would turn it into costume parties. Or it was just a, a time where everybody literally like, just let down their hair. And it was, it was festive, it was, it was so much fun. Community group, let me just tell you this now, because what we're doing is we're having a very practical in-house discussion. Our Saturday community groups, the objective of it is not Bible study. Insightful teaching, we do that on Sunday morning. Sunday school is where we do Bible study. But the community group, the objective is fellowship, it's festive, it is discipleship, it is relational, it is outreach, it is invitational, it is festive, it is festive, it is festive. And let me go off on a, on a branch here, on a side note. Um, the first time I ever served communion, I want you to know this. The first time I ever broke the bread and said, this is the body of Christ and poured the juice, I was not ordained. The first time I had a profound experience of communion, of the Lord's table, was under a pastor who was not ordained. I have a very high view of the sacraments. But I'm starting to wonder 
If maybe we should democratize the table, the administration of it. I'm starting to wonder if maybe I should be the only one to do the, you know, the hocus pocus and then break the spine, cry, this is blood, pour it. And I, maybe I shouldn't be the only Maybe our gatherings together, what do you think about that? Consider it. You don't need me around. Maybe on a Saturday afternoon when you're doing your community groups. Maybe, yeah, maybe Paul, if you're leaving, maybe Andrew. You know, I mentioned this, but you know, just think about it, right? Maybe the perfect way to cap off your time together is with the presence of Christ in your midst. You don't have to churchify it. Heck, you can serve the wine. But you can invite the presence of Christ in a very real way. Now, that's, this is a theological discussion, and we'll continue this after. If you have some thoughts or qualms about that, we'll talk about that another time. Another time. But just know that eating together in many, multiple levels is really an essential part of our spiritual life together. Yes, it is about fellowship and eating and going out to be meat or going down to, to Chipotle or something. But it is also about the Lord's Supper together. And I don't think 2,000 years ago when they broke bread and had the wine and juice that it was this very, very depressing, somber. In the Gospels, oh, I'm sorry, in the Epistles, it talks about how they were abusing the Lord's Supper. They were going too far. People were getting drunk before others. Now, I think they were probably on the other extreme. Eating together, an important element. Now, let's, let's finish up here. Two more. Two more things that are an essential part of the Christian community. Work in the world. Work in the world. In the context of Christian life, communal living, that could mean a number of things. When I was living with missionaries under, under, that, under that communal atmosphere, work meant uh, upkeep, upkeep of the community. Maybe it was my turn to do gardening, my turn to run the kitchen, or something like that. That's one type of community. There's another type of Protestant community where people would live together. I'm not saying that this is what we should do. But where people would live together, but then during the day, 9 to 5, go out to their secular jobs. And then they would return back and live in community together. That's another model. Now for us, I think what we can take to heart is that ladder, that ladder vision. That what we see is that our communal life, really, this is our communal life, but our work in the world is actually our mission field. And to recognize our work in the world, 9 to 5, Monday to Friday, that's, that's after all our, our mission priority, is to sanctify Monday to Friday. To see that as an extension of what we are doing here. Now, I'm not going to talk anymore about that because those of you that know this is something that we talk, this is an important emphasis for us. Work in the world is an important emphasis. And so let me just wrap up this first heading with the eighth piece, the essential element, reconvening at noon and evening. Reconvening at noon and evening. In other words, as it says in the book of Hebrews, do not neglect meeting with one another. Regularly touching base, regularly coming back together is important. Let me tell you why. On the mission field, when we did our three three months uh, lecture phase in Montana, and then we did our outreach phase overseas, uh, during the day we would do our work out of the field, maybe it was on the campus, maybe we were evangelizing at a club somewhere or a town square. We would reconvene at the end of the day. Why? 
do not neglect meeting with one another. And when I heard the stories of what God was doing, how's your week? No, no, really, how's your week? When we hear the stories of what God is doing in the different places, I'm like, wow, that's, that's awesome. This is what God was doing at your place of work. This is what God was doing at that part of town, at that part of the city. Reconvening really is based on that, that word from Hebrews. Do not neglect meeting with one another. Regular church attendance on Sunday morning, I really believe is an important part of our spiritual lives. And I understand that we live in a time, and I, I hear this a lot, I've said it, I like Jesus, don't like the church. I want the essence of the gospel, I don't want the organized religion. You know what it's like? It's like a tree. A tree where we don't like the bark of the tree. We want to tear off the bark and just have the, the pure essence of the tree, but it's the bark, the hard exterior callous outside that preserves the living thing. Without the hard callous exterior, the tree would be susceptible. The gospel would be susceptible to disease infestation. And so the church has imperfect and flawed as it is, the pastor, as imperfect and flawed as I am, as we pastors can be, we are just the bark on the tree. We're just the bark on the tree. Callous, imperfect, crusty, you want to peel it off, but really necessary to preserve and to protect the gospel. So, reconvene, reconvene. And so that's, that's, that's a conclusion of this first heading. That's Anna for talking. The eight essential spiritual disciplines for life together. But what does that look like for us at Woven? What does that look like for us? And here, if you could just pull up that graphic, Ryan, of our spiritual rhythms. See, um, some of you are in the medical profession. Some of you are in finance. I think this applies to both. In the medical profession, you need to have a history, a medical history, in order to establish a baseline. What is the baseline of this person's medical condition? Or financially, you need a couple of years, a couple of fiscal years on record, in order to see what is the economic health, what is the baseline of this community's or this business or enterprise's viability. I've noticed the spiritual baseline of our church's community after four years. The spiritual baseline, it's not an economic baseline, we have that too. And come October, we'll talk about that. It's not a, a biological baseline, but a spiritual baseline. And what I've recognized over the years, as, as we've been a community together, is that the months of September to May, the months of September to May are very active, very um, ministry-oriented. There's a lot of things that can be done. We can build up the community with good Bible teaching. We can engage in our yearly Bible reading plan. We can launch our new series. We can launch our adult Sunday school. We can launch our community groups. And all of that activity, the activeness of our church, happens from the months of September to May. The downtime of our community, I've recognized, is June to August. 
And that is probably true for most churches, most churches. And that's just normal. There's no shaping in that or anything. It's the time when most of us are trying to escape the text in heat. I know. And so I liken to it, I liken it to the, the spiritual baseline, I liken it to September to May being our sowing months. If we were farmers, these are the months that we're breaking up the, the ground. We're plowing. We're planting seeds. September to May, just plant them seeds. And the month of June to August are the growing months, sowing versus growing, where the farmer says, there's nothing more I can do. The rest is up to God, and I too, as a farmer, have to rest. Well, well what am I going to do? Like, sit in front of the corn stall and say, grow, 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 grow. Those are the times where we release God to do God's work, and we do our work as a community during the growing, I'm sorry, the sowing season. God is in charge of the growing season, and we can let go and let God. And I find, I was thinking about this, it's interesting to me that the most significant life change in our community, the most significant life change in our community happens at summer camp, at Chick, at Triennial, Stuff that we're not sowing, stuff that we're not planning. The most significant family life change I've seen has happened when our children go to camp, when we are involved, when we're seeing the lives and the families transformed as a result. That's God doing his stuff. I'm not doing it. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not working any harder. In fact, many times it confounds my labors. God causes to grow where he causes to grow. So anyway, that is the spiritual baseline that I've discerned, kind of the rhythm, the rhythm of us as a church community after four years. So what is the sowing? What is the, the, the ministry? What is the spiritual disciplines that we as a community can practice from the months of September to May? Now granted, we're not, I'm not saying we're going to live under the same, we're not going to do what Boniface is talking about, but there are some things that he is talking about that we can distill into our own rule of life as a church community, into our own practices, and there are four things that we do. And I just want to present these four things that our church is doing from September to May, and to just encourage you to think about how you can incorporate. I can do that. I, I can do that. Now, I, I don't want to live with Pastor Wayne in his guest room. And I don't want to share meals, and I don't want to do work duties, but I can do this stuff. And those four things that maybe you can do, that maybe you might, be, you might feel like this is going to feed and nurture my soul. This is going to strengthen my walk with Jesus, and this is going to be beneficial. Those four things are, first of all, the workplace examines. Paul has talked about that. And Anthony, we had a great meeting this week. Um, it's even a place where non-Christians, people that are adverse to the church, can actually have a really quality spiritual uh, discussion. And we experience that. Now, the workplace examines, uh, mind you, this is, this, we, we really have just one that's happening downtown right now. But we're designing it to be reproducible. So that more and more people, if you wanted to start an, examine, uh, an examination, uh, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll teach about this in a few weeks. 
you're probably one, some of you are wondering, what is that? So maybe in a few weeks we'll talk about that. But an examination of conscience is something that really we have script, we just go through it, anybody can read it, it's easily reproducible. So that's one thing, that's one thing that we've started doing and really it's, it's been, in my experience, really effective and, and really, uh, I can tell that it's really been helpful to the people who participate. The second spiritual discipline that we're practicing as a community is the Wednesday night prayer meetings that are, that are starting this week. I remember going back a couple of years, there were members of this community who were asking, can we start a prayer meeting? I just want to get my prayer on. This is finally your chance. Because maybe Sunday morning, you know, you're saying, this is how I fight my battles, this is how I fight my battles, okay, please be seated. And then, you know, it's time for and you're like, no, I want to I want to fight my battles a little bit more. I want to, I want to, I want to sing a little bit more, I want to get my prayer on. I feel a need, I feel that spiritual need to, to find that place. Wednesday night is the place for that. Wednesday night, uh, starting this Wednesday, I will be at every Wednesday night uh, prayer gathering as long as I'm in town. My intention is to be at every, not just prayer gathering, but also at every Saturday community. And so I encourage you, if that's something that you feel like, you know, I could really use just some time to just sing and just pray, pray for my kids. Or I'm really going through this struggle um, at work and I need some intentional, deeper prayer. Or maybe, you know, you know, we need to be praying for our church. I want to pray for my church. I want to pray for Sandy and Chan. I want to pray for Luke. I want to pray. And so what happens is we, we find a place that's committed where we're gathered together and really getting prayer on. That's, that's the second, that's the second part of our rule of life. The third one is our community group that we have on Saturdays. It's the place where the festive quality that Bonifer talks about is practice. It's the place where we, we break bread together. You know, both in its literal but also its sacramental sense. Christ is present. So the Saturday community group, again, um, Paul, did you say the next one is at, at 5 p.m. October 6th at your house? And it's also a great place to invite. I know even for my, uh, my family is going to host community group in October, and we're planning on inviting folks, even some of the Kingdom City people, neighbors as well. And allow them to just experience, taste, and see that the Lord is good. That when Christians get together, it's not all doom and gloom. That we can have a little bit of fun. Can be right so that's the Saturday morning communion. But the fourth and last thing is adult Sunday school. Adult Sunday school is where we learn the scriptures. Our mission priority is insightful teaching. And that happens at 9 a.m. every Sunday morning. By the way, uh, for those of you with children, both small children or high schoolers, all the way up to high school, our children's ministry and youth group meets every Sunday at 9 a.m. Meets every Sunday at 9 a.m. And every Wednesday as well for the prayer meeting. And so we realize here at Kingdom City, because we're talking about this, intentionally planning it this way, that these things are not, they're not just, they're family affairs. They're family affairs. So if you're saying that it, it means it means a lot to me that I can come and pray, 
but I can't pray because I have to watch the children. I have to find a sitter. We, we've intentionally set that up so that children in high school uh, ministry is available on Wednesday nights as well as Sunday mornings. So those rhythms are all there. But these are the four things, the rule of life. And uh, I want to clarify that. If I could just clarify that, because the thing is, when it's not clarified, when, 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 when these basic expectations are not clarified, this is what happens. What happens if, if, if our rule of life is never clarified, then you end up showing up to church on Monday night, Tuesday night, Thursday night, Saturday all day, Sunday all day, Wednesday morning, and then we get into rhythms of burnout. And I remember growing up that for me, because our rule of life, this is our spiritual rhythm and pattern as a community, there was never a reason for somebody to tell me, what are you doing here? Go home. Get some sleep. You're working a 40-hour job at, at work, but you're, you're doing just as many 40 hours at church. Stop it. It's not healthy. And so in many ways, a rule of life is the healthiest thing that we can set as a church because it says, this is what we do. These are the four things. Choose whatever it is. Choose those things. Sunday school, that works for me. That works for me. I'm up at 7 a.m. on Sunday morning anyway. So might as well come bring the kids and learn scripture. Or community group on Saturdays. Well, I like a good meal. I'd love to participate in that. Or Wednesday night prayer meeting, that's something that my soul needs. Or the noonday exam, the examination of conscience. Those are the things that we as a community practice. I mean, really, let me just do the math on my feet real quick. If one person, I'm not expecting you to do this, but if somebody were to attend all four of these things, workplace exam, that's one hour over lunch. Wednesday night prayer meetings, maybe that's two hours on a Wednesday night, three. Three hours total. Saturday community group, another two hours. That's five hours total. And adult Sunday school, seven hours. All right, throw in commute and we'll round it off at 10 hours. 10 hours a week to church, that's on the high end. But that's the realistic limit. I'll tell you, if you're spending more than 10 hours, you need to be paid. But that's it. That's it. Even if you're not doing all of that, a few hours a week participating in our community rooms is probably the healthiest thing that you can do. Now let me wrap up and finish with this last thought. How many of you have had your schedule change drastically recently? How many of you like that or don't like it? How many of you don't like I don't like it. When summer is done and my kids go back to school, I have to change up my entire rhythm. And then it happens again in June or in May, when the kids are done with school, and then we get into the summer rhythm. I have to change my schedule. It's like, what am I gonna, what am I gonna do my Bible reading? What am I gonna do my meditation? What am I gonna go? What am I, what, what am I gonna do these hours? And the funny thing is, um, those of you that have, that have uh, known me throughout the duration of this church, you know that I used to take Monday off. I used to take Monday off as my day off after church on Sunday. I just, uh, you know. <laughs> You know, maybe we go a little bit overboard and you know, watch 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 a couple of movies from from Redbox and you know, pig out on Sunday night or something. 
Monday was my day off. But then when we joined the Kingdom City system, nobody took Monday off. Everybody works on Monday. Everybody takes Friday off. All the staff of Kingdom City take Friday off. And so we've been here probably six months at least. Six months at least. It took the course of six months for my own internal biorhythms and spiritual rhythms to change. So Monday, no longer taking Monday off, and then I started taking you know, Saturday, a pseudo-Saturday day off, and, and finally, you know where I wound up? Exactly where the rest of the human city staff is. I'm following those same rhythms. Right? The point that I'm making as I wrap up is that you are at that time of year, most of you are at that time of the year where you're thinking, what is the new schedule? The kids are back in school. When am I going to do my Bible reading before I go to sleep? Or when I wake up in the morning, am I going to carve out this amount of time? Most people who try to live an active spiritual life do that. Most people, in a healthy way, go through this rescheduling, re-rhythming, formatting your life, and figuring in, where do I pay attention to God? What are the rhythms? As you do that now, as you figure out your rhythms for the fall season, incorporate some of these things that Bonifer talks about and that we talk about. Some of these things for the woven rule of life. Incorporate some of these things into your own life. I encourage you to say, as I consider my spiritual schedule now, or my regular life schedule, my rhythms, what are the things that I'd like to participate in? And what are the things that I want to start fresh this new fall season? And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. And during this time, I want to give you some time to actually write. And to think for yourself, my rule of life involves uh, I have to be at the office by 9. I leave, I leave home at 8 for my commute. I have to have get kids to school by 7, so maybe I'll just wake up, even if it's just 15 minutes, 6.45, just to do some silent reading of scripture. And it's easy to just open up my Bible. Or maybe you're saying that my rhythm, you know, I put the kids down, and then from, from 9 to 9.30, it's just time with God. But then on Wednesday nights, yeah, I'm going to use that as part of my prayer rhythm. So in other words, I'd like to give you this time. As maybe we can dim the light. No, let's keep the house lights on. Want to write, but as the worship team plays quietly with your pen to so just write out the things, the schedule, these are the things, these are the practices, these are the rhythms, and to really just challenge you what are the things in Woven's rhythm that I want to incorporate regularly into my life? What are the things in Woven's rhythm that I want to incorporate intentionally as part of my life as well? So for the next few minutes, please just reflect, think for yourself, write it. So Lord, as we make a commitment this new school year, this new fall season, to the basic spiritual disciplines, help us not to, help us not to give up meeting with one another. Show us how to live in your word. Teach us how to pray your psalms and your scripture back to you. Help me, Lord, to pray 
teach me in 2018 and 19 how to pray. I don't know how to pray. I'm afraid to pray in front of other people. But could you show me, give me a new boldness and a language, a prayer language? Lord, there are things in my heart that I just want to cry out. Maybe Wednesday night, maybe Sunday morning, but still, Lord, I need to find some kind of outlet for this. Lord, there are things that I need to confess. And I need accountability. There are things that I'm not even sure I know why I do what I do. I need an examination of conscience. I need brothers and sisters to help me know what I don't see, to show me my blind spots. Lord, I just want, I just want to be around people. I just need friends. I'm so lonely. I just need a place where I can be with community. And so, Lord, you hear all of these heart cries being lifted up from these congregations. You know everyone's need. And so, Lord, at this time, I lift up each person in their need. And I pray that you would enable and empower them, Lord. Empower them to do the things. To put the work. It'll work if you work it. And, and empower them, Lord, to follow through. Even going through the motions at first. Feelings will come. And I pray that you bless every good endeavor that starts from this day forward. In Jesus' name. Amen.